Gracious Heavenly Father, our hearts are already full as we've just sung songs that are just full and saturated with reminders of Your majesty and greatness and glory in and through the person and work of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for the fact that uh, for us, Christmas is about hope, and that hope is found in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at Your right hand. Father, thank You for the fact that we have an opportunity to worship Him this morning, even through Your Word. I pray, Father, that You would comfort and encourage those who are afflicted this morning, be that of an emotional, spiritual, or physical nature, that You would be their comfort and remind them, Lord, of the hope that is found in Christ beyond this present world and anything that this world has to offer. Father, I thank You for those who are here who are visiting with us, and I pray that this would be a time where they would truly reflect upon the real reason for why we are here and for the wonderful reality that we have a great salvation that is offered freely to those who hear Your Word through the person and the work of Jesus. Father, be with us. Bless our time in Your Word. May this be a spiritually beneficial time for us in the power of Your Spirit as Your Spirit opens our eyes, illumines us to the great spiritual truth that we're going to hear and be exposed to. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 through 56 is our text. And if you're able to stand with me, please do so for the reading of God's Word. And never forget that this is God's authoritative, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. Amen? Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has had regard for the humble state of His bondslave, For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Well, I've entitled this message, What God Wants for Christmas. What God Wants for Christmas. In life, isn't it true that we tend to elevate things or people to a higher status than we should. I know that's true for my life, and maybe it's true for your life as you think about um, just your own Christian walk. Even in the Christian faith, we can do that. We're, um, we want heroes. Humans long for heroes. We look for them. We uh, seek to find those uh, who we're going to emulate and follow in the Christian life. And I believe that with regards to the world, this is one of the reasons why people have elevated, for instance, the infamous Santa Claus, right, in our society. They've elevated this um, deity, really, uh, in the eyes of many people, to a level that he does not deserve. For many people, Santa Claus has become a a godlike figure, 
Someone they worship, someone they look up to, someone they trust in during the, this holiday season. He's sort of a sentimental hero, especially here in America. And so elevating people or things is something that we have the tendency to do as human beings. It's just in us. Elevating people is also the case in world religions, right? Think about where the Roman Catholic Church has deified Mary. They've deified Mary to a level of a godlike figure of sainthood. To the Roman Catholic Church, Mary is a dispenser of grace. Someone to be worshipped. Someone in whom they put their trust in. And as we all see in our passage, certainly Mary would have never wanted this. We see her humility here in this particular text. But you know what's even sadder about this sinful depiction and distortion of Mary? What's sad about this and unfortunate is that this has caused people to forget about the fact that Mary is a wonderful example of heartfelt worship. The fact of the matter is, the sinner saved by grace, Mary, is a wonderful model of the type of heart that God wants from each of us and from us collectively during this Christmas season. And so I want our focus to be on the example of this young lady, Mary, who was probably, mark it, no more than 13 to 15 years old. The the oldest that she was probably is 15 years of of age when this announcement was made here in Luke chapter 1. This is what is known as the Magnificat from the Latin, which means to magnify. It's a poem of praise, magnifying the greatness of God from the lips of this young lady, Mary, who was at the time engaged to a man named Joseph. In those days, betrothal was considered the first stage of marriage. It was considered as binding as modern marriage, though physical union had not taken place yet between the couple. In fact, Christ's birth was miraculous in nature because of the fact that Mary was a virgin who had not had relations with Joseph. And so the angel says to Mary that the child conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The child will be the very Son of God. This is what is known as the miraculous birth virgin birth of Christ. Now what we need to recall is that this is not how people in Jesus' day saw it. They didn't see this miracle. Most people. Later, the popular opinion from the crowds would be that this baby was illegitimate. That at one time, um, uh, Mary, for whatever, with whomever, even if with Joseph, had been in relations with someone and that Jesus was born of fornication. Remember that they say later on, we were not born of fornication, implying that Jesus was the product of... Even so, even so what we see in the life of this young lady is that she's a wonderful example, brethren, of courage. She understood the ramifications, the implications of giving birth to the very Son of God. And if you recall, in the Old Testament, the penalty for this type of a thing was death by stoning. And even... By this, if she was allowed to live at that time, then she would be essentially a person who would wear a scarlet letter for the rest of her life. She would be the object of shame and ridicule and suffer scorn for what they believe was an illegitimate baby, baby Jesus. And yet, in the midst of all of that, what we see in our text here is that she responded with absolute self-abandonment. And total obedience to God's call upon her life. Again, keep in mind that this is a young lady no much older than 15 years old. Proof, as a side note, to some of you who are younger, young here or younger, 
that you're never too young. Be, you're never too young, young person, to be passionately devoted to Christ. You're never too young to make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary is an example of that. A sinner saved by grace, just like us who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for all of us, she's an example as well. And so I want us to reflect today upon this wonderful example of the kind of heart response that God wants from each of us during this Christmas season and beyond this Christmas season. You know, one of the questions that we ask our kids this time of the year, and maybe you grew up this way where your parents asked you the same thing, is what would you like for Christmas? Has anybody ever asked you that? Okay, come on, be honest, you know. You've been asked that question. Why do we ask this question during Christmas time? Because we love, right, to, we find joy in giving gifts to our children, especially to our kids during Christmas time. But I wonder how many, how often do we ask ourselves this question? What does God want from me during Christmas? What is it that God wants and what is most important to Him, to His heart, during Christmas season from me? I think we get our answer from this wonderful passage here. There are three encouragements here from Mary's example that I want us to glean that we may give God, brethren, what He desires most from us this Christmas. Okay? As we glean from this example of this young lady. First of all, what we glean from this young lady is this, that God wants for us to focus on the right object of worship. God wants for us to focus on the right object of worship. I'm sure you feel it, right, in our society as you run around doing your shopping and all of that and you interact with people. There are so many distractions during this time. Amen? So much that competes for our affections. So much that is vying for our attention. They're such distracted, busy people. But what we see here from the, in the testimony of this young lady, lady is that Mary is singularly focused on the right object of worship. Look at verse 46. Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord or magnifies the Lord. Verse 47, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary's heartfelt response to the exciting but, but sobering news that she's going to be giving birth to the Lord Jesus is to direct her praise and adoration to God Himself. In fact, the whole song here is a song of praise directed to God. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 48. For He has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. Verse 49. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is His name. Verse 50. And, and His mercy is upon generation after generation. Verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things. Verse 54, He has given help to Israel His servant. Verse 55, As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. I mean, the whole, the whole praise song here is a statement directed at God. Is worship directed at Him? The whole tone of this Magnificat is about Mary's laser focus upon her God. Amazing. And did you notice Mary's wording? She says in verse 47, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Did you notice that? Mary's worship is, is very personal. She says, My Savior. And He is my saving God. I love this. 
Mary is moved by the fact that the baby in her womb and her womb would bear the sins of the world, just as the angel had said in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty one, for he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. And so Mary knows this, she directs her focus to God, who is her personal savior, in the light of the fact that the Messiah will come through her very being. See, to Mary, God is not some far distant and impersonal force or being, brethren. Like the distant God of Muhammad. Or like the many gods with a little g of Hinduism. No, to Mary, God is very near to her. So much so that He sent His Son into the world to die for sinners. So that by faith, we can actually know this God. He is knowable. So that by being rescued from our sins, we can be forgiven and made right with this one true God of the Bible. Through Jesus Christ. I want to remind us of this today. That the only, that the one and only true God who Mary praises is the same God that we are called to worship. And remember that similar to Mary, God is not a far distant and impersonal God, but He is a knowable God. In fact, He made Himself supremely known through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about the incarnation and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But hear me. As Mary called God my Savior and personalized personalized God to herself, I want to encourage you this morning, you must personalize this as well. And so the question is this, is God your personal Savior this morning? Maybe this morning He is a distant God. Maybe He is a God of wrath to you. Maybe He is an ogre who is distant and far from you. If so, to you I would say you need to acknowledge Him as your personal saving God. The fact that Jesus came into the world to save sinners should be evidence to you as is evidence to us in His Word that God actually wants to be known and He wants to enter into a relationship with you. But you must turn from your sins and put your confident trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for that to happen. And so He is knowable. Recognize that the baby in the manger is Jesus, the God-man who's who is God's provision for the forgiveness of your sins, but you must embrace the gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. And how sad would it be if you're sitting here this morning or you're watching or you're listening, how sad would it be that you would miss God's gift with a capital G of His Son this Christmas? How sad would it be for you? You know, I'm always amazed during this time of how, how people, as you go shopping and you're at these stores and you hear the background music or you're at a restaurant, right, and they have Christmas music playing, I'm amazed at the fact that people can hear Christmas songs but not even pay attention to what they are hearing and listening to. I mean, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king with a capital K. Who is that king? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Reconciled through whom? Through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they're singing about Jesus, who is the hope for sinners. And yet they don't embrace Him so that they would be forgiven and reconciled to their Maker. Being made right with God is what Christmas is, is all about. And Jesus is the, the greatest manifestation of the love of God to our world. And of course, for those of us who trusted in Christ, the most fundamental thing I want you to think about is this, that for us as Christians, 
It's all about worshiping the saving God of the Bible. He Himself is the object of our worship. Right? That's the root problem that salvation solves. That we, before Jesus, used to be about self-worship. We used to exalt the self, idolize the self. But when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's changed, brethren. Now God is the one that we worship. The God who saved us. We live to make much of Him. To exalt Him. No longer to make much of ourselves. This is basic to the Christian life. Life is about worship. Worship is our way of life as believers. And so can I ask you, has God in Christ been the object of your worship this Christmas? Has He been at the center of your thoughts? Because brethren, we don't gather this morning just as some formality. We don't gather here because it's just the thing to do on, on Christmas Day. We gather because we're here, to, we're here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? That's why we're here. And Jesus has made it possible for us to do that from the heart sincerely. And so make sure that you are laser focused on Christ this Christmas as this young lady was. Even as you carry out your traditions. You're wonderful to be enjoyed traditions and festivities and all of the food and delicacies and all of that, right? We love this holiday season for that as well. And that's all good, right? But remember to keep the center and the circumference of all of that focused on Jesus. He is the reason for the season. Amen? Well, what else can we glean from the example of this young lady, Mary? Not only was she laser focused on worshiping God, but we also glean that God wants for us as we see from her example, to cultivate the right, resp- the right posture of worship. Cultivate the right posture of worship. What we learn from Mary is that it's not just important what you do in worship, but how you do it and the way you do it that matters to God. And here in our text, it's not just that Mary worships, right? But it's also how she worships and the posture with which she worships God that is important to note and to glean from. You see, when the angel comes to Mary back in chapter 1, it must have been quite a shock and a surprise to this young young girl. And, and the typical woman, perhaps, would have been tempted at that moment to think to herself proudly, me? You know, moi, right? I, I always knew that there was something special about me. I'm the chosen one. In other words, Mary could have responded to the announcement with arrogance, with a sense of self-idolatrous kind of pride. She could have responded that way, exalting herself, but instead, what's her posture? Look back at chapter 1 and verse 38. Right after the announcement of the angel to Mary, verse 38, Mary says, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see that, brethren? Let those words and that response sink in for a minute. She responds with humility, with utter humility at God's call upon her life. And this isn't some false humility that says, I'm not worthy. You know, uh, why don't you go out to the next person? I think you got the wrong person. No, this is a true, genuine humility that says, here I am. I'm at the Lord's disposal. Whatever God wants, right, may it be done according to his word. Mark this. Mary worships God by humbly turning over the controls to God. By a sense of her sense of self-abandonment, 
She entrusts herself to Him, brethren. That is very much part and parcel of the type of heart that God desires. A heart that trusts Him in the midst of potential chaos in the future. A heart that trusts Him in the face of the unknown as it pertains to the future. That's what Mary is doing here. Notice how she elaborates further. Verse 48, For He has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. I love that. He has had regard. She, he sees me. He's mindful of me. She's acknowledging here with those words that she's not worthy of this blessing. That she doesn't deserve this. That this is an act of God's grace upon her life. Though she's nothing special from a human perspective. This is not an act. Notice that her humble posture is heartfelt and sincere, not superficial. Verse 46, My soul exalts the Lord. Verse 47, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. You see that? My soul, my spirit, both have to do with her inner person. With the real Mary, the real you, if you will. This is her heartfelt cry. She's not just going through the motions. She's not just sort of offering an externalistic, hypocritical type of a so-called worship, devoid of heart, in a heartless kind of a manner. It's sincere. It's the posture of her heart. You know, we can learn something from this. So many folks during Christmas time may give lip service to God. Right? Even during Christmas season, attend church as a mere formality. I mean, I, I grew up with certain friends who since then have walked away with the Lord, from the Lord. But they'll show up to church, right? Now as grown men, just because they want to honor their mom who's a believer. And so for them, it's just a formality. They walked away from the Lord. This is just something that you do during Christmas time, but there's no heart behind it. And of course, we're always grateful for anyone who visits. Amen? But may I remind you, that it's not just a, the thing to do during Christmas. That worship is why God has created us. He has created us to worship Him. And He's made that possible for us as sinners who deserve hell and condemnation by sending His Son Jesus into the world so that by faith now we can enter into a right relationship with God through Jesus and worship Him from the heart sincerely. This is why Christ came. Mary... Her heart is close to God. She she worshiped God in spirit and in truth. And we are called to do the same, brethren. By the way, notice that she's not ashamed of worshiping Him. Her humble worship is, is expressive, right? She's not embarrassed or ashamed to show how she feels about God. Look at verse 46. My soul exalts the Lord, which means that I magnify the Lord. My soul makes much of the Lord. Verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced or continually rejoices, characteristically, habitually rejoices in God my Savior. I mean, this is a young lady who is overflowing with joy, with exceeding joy in the light of the grace of God in her life. She's not afraid to say it and to express it. And brethren, again, keep in mind, her happy expressiveness should be accentuated in our hearts and minds and highlighted by the price that she's going to pay in the future for bearing the, the, the Son of God in her womb and for giving birth to Him. She was going to suffer a lot and she has begun to understand that. She would be the object of ridicule and scorn. But by now she's embracing her calling. She will bear the Messiah and she's exuberant and expressive about serving God in this manner. As a side note, 
This reminds us of the fact that God doesn't just want us to be duty-driven. Mary wasn't. She's delighted to serve the Lord. And she, even in the midst of suffering, I mean, it is one thing to delight in God when everything from a human perspective seems to be going calm and health is good and trials are okay, right? And you're bearing up under them pretty well and finances are good and you don't need a job and all of that. It's really easy to delight in God in the midst of that. Mary knows suffering is coming and she delights in God. Delighting in Him is also what pleases the Lord. That's the kind of heart of worship that the Lord desires. Look at her posture, right? It's one of humble self-abandonment, as I've mentioned. She knows that it's going to cost her her life, right? Humanly speaking, her reputation, her comfort. Brethren, I submit to you that this is the life of every true follower of Christ. You want to follow after Christ, it's going to be a life of humble self-abandonment for the sake of Jesus, for His cause. And it shouldn't be fabricated or forced, but it should be a joy. We should repent of a lack of joy in our lives as believers. Do you ever do that? Right? God wants us to be to live joyfully as we're learning in the book of Philippians. We should repent of a lack of joy even in our service. Even in our the way that we care for others. We should be rejoicing in that. This young girl understands that sacrifice is coming, suffering is coming, but her posture is one of, of joy. And so may I ask you, does, would this characterize sincerely before the Lord this morning your posture this Christmas season? I mean, are you all in for Christ? Are you re- is your heart really His? Or are you just going through the motions? Is this all a formality for you, right? The thing that you do on Christmas Day. Or is there a real, heartfelt, genuine recognition of the significance of the season so that you're rejoicing in the Christ of Christmas from the heart? If not, brother and sister, can I lovingly encourage you? Spend some time today in confession before the Lord, repenting of your lack of joy, renewing your heart before the Lord, recalibrating your heart on what God wants most from you, that your thoughts would be centered on Christ. That you would be relishing in His Son. That you would be living a life of hope in the midst of a, of a passing wicked, adulterous generation. But we have hope beyond this wicked world, don't we? Because of Jesus. Mary understood the reason for the season. The object of her worship was her saving God. And her posture was one of sincere, heartfelt, joyful worship. Thirdly, thirdly, What else might we glean from Mary's example? I think we also glean that God wants for us to recall the many reasons to worship. Recall the many reasons to worship this Christmas. Why does Mary worship? If you're here today and you're having a difficult time recalling why you should worship God, Mary's example here helps us. First, she recalls just how good God has been to her personally. God has been to her good to her personally. Look at verse 48. He has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. See how she, she personalizes God's goodness? She personalizes God's blessings upon her life. That God has chosen this poor peasant girl, right? In the light of that, she worships 
the Lord. She is a woman, a young lady who counts her blessings in the present time that God has done great things for her personally. Boy, how often it is, brethren, that we can focus on the blessings of God upon others. I'm this way, but I forget about how good God has been to me. Can you identify with that? We need to count God's blessings to us because we've been the recipients of God's goodness as well. Again, how many of you have paused during this holiday season and really taken the time to praise God for the evidences of His grace just this past year in your life? I would encourage you to do that. Even as we look to the new year, sit down before the Lord with your family or individually or with others and just rehearse and recall on paper how good God has been to you. Even in the midst of the suffering, which by the way, is part and parcel of the Christian life, right? To you it has been granted. Grace has been given not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. But in the midst of that, God has been so gracious to to sustain us, right? To provide for us. To protect us. Oh, brethren, God has been very, very merciful to us. Above all, recall the fact that He's granted you salvation if you're in Christ. Recall the the fact that you had no hope. Do you remember the former person? I was thinking about this this morning. The campus prior to 17 years old when He saved me. When God visited me and and did a rescue operation in my life. I don't like that guy very much anymore. Right? I had no hope without God in the world. Dead in our trespasses and sins we were prior to Jesus. No hope. Lost without God. God. But now if, if Christmas means anything to us, it's the fact that God has sent Jesus into the world to, to give us hope beyond this passing, adulterous, sinful generation, brethren. Boy, that's something to thank God about, right? Our God desires that His people recall and rehearse His many blessings to us personally. Mary can't help but do this. But notice also she recalls God's goodness in the lives of others. Not just to her personally, but in the lives of of others. Verse 50. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. That right there in verse 50 is a quotation from one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103. And it's talking about the, the, the blessings of God upon His people there in Psalm 103. Spend some time today as I have done many a time, as I've been tempted to forget oftentimes how wonderful God has been to me and how good He's been to me. Spend some time in Psalm 103 just being reminded of the blessings of God upon your life. That's what Mary is doing here. Right? Not only has God been good to me, a sinner, but He's been merciful from long ago to others, from generation to generation. In other words, she's looking at God's track record of of faithfulness, which expands way beyond her to other people. And the history, human history, attests and bears witness, brethren, to God's goodness. Right? Saying those who have come before me have experienced this as well. Kingdoms rise. Kingdoms fall. Nations come. Nations go. People come. People go. Rulers rise. Rulers fall. And through all of that, the one constant, unchanging certainty is that God is good. Amen? He's good and He's great. This is what she's remembering Boy, Mary, by the way, possesses a, a high view of God, right? I mean, her praise is substantial. It's got substance. This young lady recalls God, God's attributes throughout. Look at this. 
She recalls God's attributes. Verse 51, He has done mighty deeds with His arm. Right? That's His might and His power. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. That's speaking of His providence, whereby He orders human affairs and human history to be in accordance with His will in the hearts of people. Right? And removes people who are wicked. Verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones. That's speaking of His sovereignty. He has authority over all of that and that he, he humbles those who are proud in their hearts. He humbled in the Old Testament Cain and, and Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and, and King Saul. But then on the other hand, verse 52, right? He exalted those who were humble like Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and David and Daniel, etc. Boy, Mary is saying... God has absolute sovereign control over it all. He's providential. He has might and power. He has the ability to carry out His will. She highlights His mercy. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things. Another quote from uh, now Psalm 107 and verse 9. And sent away the rich empty-handed. In other words, he, He's a God of justice. He provides for the needy, for the hungry. And the rich He has humbled by leaving them empty-handed. I mean, Mary, brethren, is rehearsing and recalling the, the attributes of God here as seen in His works. Her worship has substance. She recalls His greatness. Even as seen in the history of the Israelites. Look in verse 54. He has given help to Israel, His servant. Now she's speaking of the nation specifically. In remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Even as she recalls the history of the Israelites, of her own people, of the nation, he's, she says, oh, God is merciful. He is so merciful. I can identify with her just a little bit, right, as we think about the Old Testament. But I just remember early on in my Christian walk, brethren, I think I've mentioned this before, that I would oftentimes read through the Old Testament and often wonder why God always seems so angry. It seemed like it was always full of wrath. And then as I began, it wasn't in a resentful kind of a way, just trying to understand where this came from. And the more that I read through the whole Bible and the Old Testament in particular, the more that I began to wonder why God was so merciful. Not why He was always so angry. I mean, have you read the history of the nation in the Old Testament? Right? Earlier this year, I was reading the book of Judges and then the prophets, and I was astonished and marveled at how rebellious the people were, how sickening the rebellion of the people was. There was this, there's this vicious cycle in the, as you see the, the, the Israelites, of them constantly turning away from God, worshiping idols, rebelling against Him. And then they suffer the consequences and they cry out to God. And what does God do? Hey, that's enough. That was the, the 1007th time. Is that what He does? No. When they call upon His name, He relents. And He's merciful. He withholds from them what they rightly deserve because of their sin and their rebellion. He's merciful. This is what Mary is overwhelmed by in this praise. She knows the history of the wicked Israelites and she's marveling at God's mercy. Even now she's marveling 400 years after the minor prophet Malachi. 400 years of silent years, we call them, right? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament. She's saying, even now God has visited us again, not through the Messiah. He is merciful to us. 
And she can't help but rehearse His greatness and recall His greatness and responds with praise and, and worship in the light of the substantial attributes of God. In light of His majesty and His greatness and His glory, she can't help but to praise and to worship God. See, worship is a response to who God is. Amen? And to the fact that He's worthy of that worship. That whether you feel like it or not today, God is worthy to be sought today. God is worthy to be worshipped today. No matter what is going on in our society. No matter how we feel. No matter what body part aches. You know what I'm saying? Especially these days. No matter what's going on in politics, God is worthy to be sought today. He's worthy of our worship in light of who He is. Mary understands this. Boy, we can attest, just like Mary, to the fact that we've spurned His name. To the fact that you know we've lived for our pleasures even this year as you look back. But when you failed, how merciful has God been to you, brother and sister? Oh, He's been so merciful to me. Not only has He saved me, but He continues to pour out His blessings upon me, even though I don't deserve His goodness and His grace. I'm sure you can attest to this as well. That's the case also for those of you who are here or who are listening and who rejected Jesus as Lord and, and Savior. Even now, God is merciful to you, you understand. Even now, you can be the recipient of, of God's mercy. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Safe from your sins. Safe from God's judgment. But what does He require of you? He requires a broken heart. That you are tired of your sin and living to, to worship yourself. A heart that desires to be forgiven. Turn from, the, from your sin. Repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be forgiven. This is what God wants from you most this Christmas if you don't know Him. The heart of Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God. Here's what you can bring to God. Ready? Not your works. Not your church attendance. Not your resources. He doesn't need any of that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your attendance. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need any of that. If He doesn't have your heart, then He doesn't have you, right? Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God, what you can bring to God, are a broken spirit. Broken over what? Broken over your sin against your Creator. Broken over your rebellion against the holy and just God who created you for His glory to enjoy Him and you've turned your back on Him and you've pursued a life of self-exaltation. Broken spirit over your sin. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, You will not despise. God will not turn away a broken sinner who comes to Him pleading for mercy and forgiveness over their rebellion. This is what we're celebrating during Christmas time. Emmanuel, God is with us, who came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so come to Him. Jesus said, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Over what? Over your sin. And I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your soul, Jesus said. Come to Him. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And be the recipient of His mercy, which is lavished upon us through Jesus. So Mary is grateful for God's mercy. You know what's also amazing about these, these verses? That as we contemplate them and we reflect upon these verses, they reveal, brethren, that Mary has a vast and extensive knowledge of Scripture. This is a Scripture-saturated young lady, right? 
She's recalling the Old Testament Scriptures and Israel's history with, with direct and indirect allusions to the Old Testament throughout the Magnificat. Remarkable. This shows that this young lady was a young lady devoted to the Word of God. And it's not like she had a, a MacArthur Study Bible, right? <laughs> they weren't carrying around Bibles like us, physical copies like this. They listened to the scrolls being read to the Word of God to the Old Testament. And then they memorized the Scriptures. And they meditated upon it. This is what is so evident in her life. She was a woman, brethren, who knew the Word of God. Right? This is why we want to do Bible reading together in 2024. Have you downloaded the Version app? Have you gone to the Taylor University plan? Old Testament, New Testament reading, a little bit of Psalms, a little bit of Proverbs. Brethren, we want to be people of the book like Mary was. And the great saints of old who were saved, sinners saved by grace like us. And not just people who read the book we want to be. More importantly, we want to be people who know the God of the Bible. The God of the book. Amen? So we might draw near to God, the God of the Scriptures. And so as she reflects on the Old Testament Scriptures, she's able with substance and depth to exalt God for His faithfulness. She knows the God of Scripture. Note how she ends her song of praise, by the way. Verse 55. As he spoke, she says, to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Question, why mention Abraham? Why mention uh, her descendants, right? It's 2,000 years before that those guys were around from the time that, she, that this, is, this was recorded. 2,000 years ago from her time. Why mention those individuals? I'll tell you because she's recalling how all of this is consistent with what God said He would do. Back in Genesis 12, right? Some 2,000 years before this moment, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed through you. Who is that? Through the Messiah that would come from ultimately the lineage of Abraham. And so Mary essentially is saying in verse 55, God has kept His Word through the Messiah. This Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promises to Abraham and to my descendants. God has been faithful from long ago. He's sovereign. He's providential. He keeps His Word. That's what she's rehearsing here. Brethren, what Mary does here in recalling the greatness and the goodness of God in the Old Testament is so instructive for us. So, something that we can glean from here is this. That as she recalls the Old Testament significance of the baby in her womb now, right? she recalls the fact that Christmas is the centerpiece of a bigger picture. Think about that. Christmas is about Jesus. Amen? Without Christ, nothing makes sense. He's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And from Him flow all of God's blessings upon us. Right? Post the cross. Christmas is about Christ. Without Christ, nothing makes sense. But recognize this. His coming to earth is a fulfillment of part of a bigger picture. Christmas is about Jesus coming in fulfillment of God's promises from long ago. And as such, Christmas is about God's faithfulness. But the fact that He keeps His promises. And if Mary is contemplating this, and if she's recalling all of this and rejoices in God's faithfulness, we should as well, brethren. All we need to do is rehearse God's track record, right? Time would not permit us, if I were to ask for a show of hands and volunteers, 
Time will not permit us this morning to fully rehearse and recall the goodness of God upon our lives, who has not only saved us from our sins, but continually sustains us in our sanctification, right? And is going to sustain us all the way until the end. And I'm so grateful, by the way, speaking of God's faithfulness, that He's faithful even when you and I are faithless. As you look back this year, how many times have we been faithless? Amen? How many times have we not failed God? How many times have we not displayed weakness in the flesh? Walked in the flesh? And yet in the midst of that, God always shows us His great love and faithfulness in Christ Jesus. And so Mark, it Mary is an example, a model of a woman sold out for God, sold out for God's plan for her life, and she worships God from the heart, and in so doing... She gives God, gives God exactly what He wanted most from her at that first Christmas, which was her heartfelt devotion and praise. And so back to our question, brethren, at the beginning of this message. What does God want most from you? What does God want most from us collectively, even as a church? He wants our heartfelt worship and devotion. Amen? The type of heart that is described in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What about those who don't give God the worship He deserves? For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What is he saying? Fellowship with you. Abiding with you. Being in your presence is everything to me. Brethren, may that be our heart this Christmas. Amen? May we offer to God what He wants most from us. And that is our heartfelt devotion and worship. Let's pray. Father God, thank You. Thank You for Jesus this Christmas. We thank You for the fact that He has made it possible for us to flesh out even the heart of the psalmist here at the end by nailing our sins to the cross, paying for our sins on the cross. Help us to remember, Father, that the greatest thing that You desire from us is not our service devoid of heart. It's not our resources. It's not even our presence. It's not our attendance. Lord, what You desire most from us is us. You want our hearts, all of them wholeheartedly devoted to You. Because if You have us, then everything else will flow from that as an act of heartfelt worship. So help us, by Your grace, to apply ourselves to this during this holiday season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.